Amen. Lord is good, isn't he? Has been good, will always be good. You can't go to a place in your life and say that he hasn't been good because he has truly always been good to us and thankful for it. You know, as the Lord has uh, a couple of months ago uh, laid on our heart to, to take this theme uh, in one accord, uh, over the last couple of months I've been spending some time in prayer, and, and really my prayer is this, and I, I wonder what your prayer is when it comes to the local church, when it comes to uh, the Lord working. And here's my prayer right this very moment. Lord, don't let me hinder it. I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to be uh, something that uh, that hinders what God could do or what God is doing. And I want the Lord to work. I believe that's what you desire as well. And as you come to chapter number four of the book of Philippians, you see a word that is found in the very beginning that again reveals the heart of Paul. As he begins to, to highlight some things, as you go all the way to the beginning of chapter number one, you'll see that his heart was for the people and towards the people and with the people. He had, was praying with them and for them and about them. And that continues on through the entire ministry of Paul. As you go and look at each of his journeys, he was not there for himself. He was always there because of the, the gospel and for the people. He cared for the people, and as you come to chapter number 4, you're going to continue to see that in chapter number 1, it started with our heart concerning Paul's heart and what we saw of his heart, and it continued in chapter number 2, chapter number 3, and now in chapter number 4. Chapter number 3, as you back up to chapter number 3, you see that in the closing verses, he begins to highlight this mind of where the people are thinking and what they're thinking on. Where they're thinking too, if you would, as he says in verse number 20 of chapter number 3, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. He closes out chapter number 3 like that, and then he begins in chapter number 4 with the word, therefore. And that word, therefore, is a very interesting word because it, it gives some insight into him continuing on. It's as though, as he uses the word, therefore, he is saying, so that then, if you would. And, and con- as he's continuing the thought concerning those things, so then, as you're thinking on these things, as you're aware of what we've just dealt with, Here's some things to consider. There are times whenever you may have been in a a lecture, there might be times whenever you're sitting in a Sunday school class setting or a revival meeting or a missions conference and an individual is pouring their heart out to you. That missionary might be presenting their work or they might be talking about something that the Lord has done on the mission field or whatever the case might be concerning what they're portraying and, and giving to you concerning what they're talking about. And they might go along the lines of talking about a family or a young person. They're sharing the background concerning that young person and the upbringing or how that person came in contact with that missionary. And then they might use the word, so then. In light of all of what I have told you, here are some things to consider. And so in chapter number 4, Paul is going to highlight some things concerning what he has already addressed. And he's going to begin to pour out his heart. He's going to begin to pour out his heart for the people once again. He says in verse number one, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for. I mean, those statements right there tell you he loved these people. He cared for them. He says, my brethren. So he's not separating himself. He is claiming them and he desires to be knit with them and their hearts to be knit. He goes on and takes it a step further and says, dearly beloved. And then he says, and longed for. 
my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Synth, and they be of the same mind. There it is, right there. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Chapter number 4, verse number 4 is one of my favorite verses in all the entire book of Philippians. It's one of my favorites because I'm able to relate in the sense of I'm understanding exactly what Paul is saying here as he says rejoice in the Lord always. He gives no room for someone to make a statement. He goes on and he says, rejoice in the Lord. And if someone were to try to speak and say, but you don't understand or you don't get it or you're not in the midst of this or you don't understand what's going on here. He says these words, rejoice in the Lord always. And if they were to try to pick up and say something, he says, "Eh." and again, I say rejoice. You have nothing to say negative. You have nothing to say that could take away the goodness of God. You have nothing to say that ought to stop you from rejoicing in the Lord. And so Paul says these words in verse number four, rejoice in the Lord all way. And again, I say rejoice. And so the first four verses of chapter number four, Paul is revealing his heart for the people and he's revealing his heart towards a couple of individuals specifically as well. In chapter number four, that word therefore is a very important word, helping us understand that he is continuing a thought and he's trying to get them to be of this one mind, this same mind. Last week, we were talking about Scripture and walking through the book of Philippians and considering chapter number 2, verse number 2, and of the same mind and having of the same desires and all of what the Lord desires to do in our church and in our lives. And so notice a couple of things about this chapter as we lay some foundation this morning concerning tonight's service as well. Notice with me, number one, the affection of Paul. The affection of Paul for just a few moments. I want you to think about this because notice these words, if you would. He says, therefore... My brethren. Now, that statement, my brethren, is speaking of those individuals. He, he, he's helping us understand that there was a, a bond there, if you would. It wasn't just something that was casual. It wasn't just passing through. And it wasn't one of those, you know how cliche we can all be every once in a while. You're passing through a, a church. You're passing through a, a town. And you're visiting a people. And we say, hey, yeah, that's my brother in Christ. We don't know them, but we make that cliche statement because it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? It sounds good to say, yeah, that's my brother in Christ. Well, tell me a little about, bit about them. Well, I don't really know much about them. It sounds good. No, this wasn't one of those situations for Paul. Paul is, is helping us to understand that these were not just my brethren. These were individuals he truly knit his heart with. He goes on and says, dearly beloved. Now, helping us to understand that that dearly beloved speaks of one that he esteemed, one that he held very dear to him, one that he would count worthy of love concerning himself pouring into them and then pouring into him. He's later on going to begin to use some some terms concerning yoke fellow. He's going to use terms like brethren and my fellow laborers, if you would. And as he is helping us understand that these individuals were individuals that he actually had affection for, he loved them, he cared for them. You say, well, how do you know that he actually cared for them? Go back to chapter 1 for just a moment. Chapter 1 gives us some insight in the very beginning of this chapter of truly how Paul felt about these people. As he is pouring into these individuals, he is going and he's not just thinking about them or thinking about random strangers. 
No, he's already going to share here in just a few minutes by, uh, the, the word joy and crown of what these people meant to him. But he says these words in verse number one of chapter one, Paul and Timotheus. Notice these powerful words that he uses to describe himself. The servants of Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm nothing. I'm just a servant. I'm nothing special. I have nothing to brag about. It's not about me. He's just a servant is what he's saying. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, and the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse number three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, notice these words. He doesn't just say always and in the sense of, uh, as he is saying, you know, always on my mind. No, he says these words. Always in every prayer of mine. For you all making requests with joy. You know, one of the great joys of of the, the Christian life and being able to come to the church with church family and truly being able to pastor is even just this morning, two or three of you had come up to me with things that I've been praying with you about that God has answered. And that's a joy. You see, we get to, to labor together in those prayers and ask the Lord to, to work and to guide and to direct and to work on the behalf of the one that needs it. For you all making requests, notice these words, with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, you need to keep in mind, as we've already dealt with this last week, that Paul's entire mind is given to the gospel. He is a gospel-centered individual. He is thinking on the gospel. He is dealing with the gospel. He has the gospel on his mind. As you travel back to chapter number four, notice what he says as he is continuing to keep this same thing concerning the gospel. He says in verse number three, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women, which notice these words, labored with me in the gospel. It's continuing throughout the entire book, the gospel. He's gospel-minded, he's gospel-centered, he's thinking on these things, he is acknowledging these things. And so he is dealing with this, and he's dealing with this devotion that he had towards the people and with the people. He is devoted to them, he is devoted to them growing. He says, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for. Notice now, as you're continuing to walk on down, he has a desire for them. Not only is he devoted to them, but he has a desire for them. He says these words, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord my dearly beloved. I love this. As you think about chapter number one, verse number eight, he was longing for them. He was longing for their fellowship, if you would. Uh, I think that one of the, the, the great joys of being a part of a church family is the, the, the connection and the bond there and being able to, to fellowship truly together. Now, there is some forms of fellowship that takes it another level, and my glasses took a hit on Wednesday evening thanks to Jonathan Hodges and, and uh, beating me upside the head while playing basketball, a different type of fellowship and enjoying the time, but it was fun. It was enjoyable. My nose felt it the next day, but it was enjoyable. But fellowship. And see, you think about fellowship and the different forms of fellowship. Sometimes it's just sitting on one of these chairs and just turning and having a conversation about the goodness of God. Sometimes it's at a farmer's market and you're laboring together and you're talking about the goodness of God and what he has done in your life and what he's doing in that family's life or what the decision you've just recently made. But nonetheless, there is a joy in fellowship. And you ought to find joy in fellowship. You ought to desire to fellowship with each other. And as we think on these things, and he goes on and he again makes the statement to be of the same mind in the Lord. That is the common statement right there. Or rather, the most important statement, in the Lord. In the Lord. Here in just a little while, we're going to look at this statement and understand what truly a servant is. 
what it looks like, what the Word of God has to say about it. Because all through the ministry of Paul, as you go and study his journeys, you go and study his life, he just sought to be a servant of the Lord. He didn't even desire to be acknowledged. When there were some that were talking about him, it did not face him. That is why he is confidently able to make the statement in verse number one, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Why? Because he understood where true joy came from and what it meant. He understood what, what truly dying to self was. So when he made the statement, I die daily, it was not just a casual statement. He understood what it meant to die daily and die to self and die to my will and die to the Lord's will and say, Lord, thy will truly be done in my life. Whatever it does, wherever it takes me, however it has to be done, thy will be done. And so the devotion here was clean and serious and understood. It was a devotion towards the people. You understand the desire, the desire not only for fellowship, but in verse number seven, he continues on. He says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse number 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Verse number 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, all of these statements that he's making, these are his desire. So he desired fellowship. His affection was towards the people, it was with the people. And in verse number 17, not only did he desire fellowship, but he desired that fruit would abound to their account. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. One of the most helpful things that we heard at the, I know for myself, at the conference this last week that we were able to go to was the emphasis that was placed on impacting people in general and pouring into people and, 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 and just discipling and, and plugging in and just literally just giving yourself to, to, to encourage and to help and to challenge and to bring along. And Paul was doing this. In his journeys, Paul wasn't thinking, what can I get out of it? Paul was saying, what can I put into it? You see, that's what we've got wrong in this world today. Many Christians, when we walk in the doors of the church, we're saying, what can I get out of it? No, it's not what can you get out of it. What can you give into it? Instead of trying to seek to, to get from your church family, why don't you give to your church family? Instead of seeking for someone to be your servant, why don't you serve your church family and be a blessing to your church family and give all what you have to the Lord and say, Lord, I just want to be an empty vessel that you fill up so I can pour myself back out. That's what Paul was desiring. Lord, not me, but thy will be done. Lord, I want to see fruit abound to their account. You say, well, what, what? so you're telling me that Paul wanted them to succeed in the Christian life? Yeah, he did. It wasn't a battle. It wasn't a, a battlefield. It wasn't competition. Paul said, hey, we're co-laborers together. Notice what he says in verse number three again. He says these words, and I treat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which, notice these words, labored with me in the gospel. Laboring with me in the gospel. He then uses the statement, my fellow laborers. And so Paul understood, and he was beginning to reveal his affection for the people. He was devoted to them. He was given to them, but he had a desire for them. Number two, we see Paul's motivation, if you would. Paul's motivation. Paul was motivated by these individuals and them serving the Lord and living for the Lord. And you come to verse number two, and the Bible says these words, I beseech Iodius and beseech Synth, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. But notice as you back on up to verse number one, he says, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. 
So you see his motivation here. Notice these words, my joy and crown. The statement, my joy, speaks of those who, as he is getting joy and understanding what joy is, it's not found in a situation. It's not found in a certain blessing. It's not found in a certain circumstance. Paul understood that joy was found in Jesus alone. But outside of Jesus alone, he understood that there were certain joys that the Lord would give him concerning the work of the Lord taking place and the work of the Lord moving forward. I love this statement that he makes, my joy and my crown, as he is dealing with that word crown. It speaks of a, a wreath or garland which was given to triumphant athletes. And it was seen as not necessarily a trophy in a trophy case, but it was seen as a great reward of faithfully preaching the gospel. And it was portrayed like this. Let's just say for a moment that Jonathan Hodges walks through the doors of the church one random Sunday morning. And Jonathan Hodges sits on the very front row. He's lost. He's searching. He's hopeless. He's, he's trying to figure out life. And he's searching for everything that he thinks he needs. After the service, I go to him. and I begin to talk to him. And I begin to ask him a little bit about him. And he begins to tell me about his background and where he's from and what he thinks he needs and what he's trying to accomplish. And he begins to give answers like this. You know, I've, I've grown up and I'm at a place right now where I'm trying to figure some things out. I'm trying to get on my feet. I'm trying to, to, to get the, the right job and I'm trying to get the right career and I'm trying to, to get the right life situated. I'm trying to do all of these many things. And somewhere along the way, I realized this man doesn't need a job. No, he doesn't need a career. He needs Jesus. And so all of a sudden, through conversation, I look at Jonathan. I say, Jonathan, let me ask you a question. I've just met you, but... And just based on what everything, let me ask you, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? He kind of looks at me with a puzzle on his face. What, what do you mean by have I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? And so I begin to present the gospel to him, and Jonathan Hodges accepts Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and his life has now completely changed. Six months to a year goes on, and Jonathan's been discipled. He's been walking with the Lord. He's been doing things that, that he ought to. He, he realizes rather quickly that he didn't actually need that job, and he didn't need all of those things he thought he needed. He needed Jesus, and then after he found the Lord, and the Lord began to deal with him and bring him along, he began to realize the Lord had certain things for him. And so six months to a year later, I'm standing there, and, and I'm just talking with a, let's just say, a, a guest preacher comes to town, and they're looking around, they're scanning the crowd, and they're saying, hey, this young man right here, John, I think his name is Jonathan. What's his story? I said, oh, let me tell you about Jonathan. Let me tell you about a random Sunday when Jonathan walked through the doors of the church, and Jonathan began to pour his heart out on all the things he thought he needed. Jonathan got saved that day. And preacher, look, look, Jonathan's life was changed that day, and Jonathan's life has never been the same since. Paul's saying, this is my crown. This is my joy. Can I ask you this question? Do you have your joy misplaced this morning? Do you have your crowns misplaced this morning? Are you desiring certain things that the Lord says, why are you so focused on all of that when there's so much greater things to focus on? You see, Paul here in verse number one says, my joy and crown. As he is dealing with this, he is finding joy in the ministry. He is finding crowns in the ministry. He is saying it's all about the eternal work of God. It's not about all of those things. It's not about the journeys. And Paul goes in and he begins, begins to talk and people say, man, Paul, you've got to tell us about this journey. He says, it's not about the journey. It's not about the journey. It's about Jesus. It's about the lives that were changed. It's about the souls that were saved. It's about all those things. Yeah, but Paul, tell us about the, the, the time in, in, in prison. And Paul says, well, the Lord was good. No, Paul, I mean, tell us about, I mean, what happened? Well, souls got saved. Paul, you, no, you're, you're talking about all the other things. Paul says, because you're asking the wrong 
questions. You see, we've got our mind and our eyes fixated on all of these other things. And I ask you this question, are you gospel-centered? Are you gospel-minded? Are you asking the right question? Paul here is pointing us once again as he says, labored with me, the gospel. I have a lot of motivation. There, there are times whenever I go and I'll read in Scripture and you find a lot of motivation in Scripture, I find. And the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah begins to talk about the family, your brethren, your wives, your children, your nation. There's a lot of motivation there. You go and you walk through Scripture and you'll find in the, 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 the Scripture concerning the life of Daniel that Daniel begins to live a life and he begins to give motivation to continue praying. There's a lot of motivation there. You go and you study the, the life of Peter and you'll find that Peter was one that, yes, he did some things that we wouldn't necessarily say, hey, I need to do that or I want to do that because Peter had his failures. But we look at the life of Peter and say, man, there's a lot of motivation there. Peter loved the Lord. There's a lot of motivation all throughout Scripture, but the greatest motivation is not those things. The greatest motivation ought to be Jesus alone. Is he enough? Paul understood this in his own life as he understood what it meant to be just gospel-centered. Notice these words in verse number 2 again at the very end. That they be of the same mind in the Lord. In verse number 2, which we will deal with again later on this evening, Paul is bringing to light, as he is trying to emphasize this statement in one accord, he's bringing to light the differences that sometimes can happen in every local church. And as he begins to highlight this, he is trying to point everyone back to this one common theme of being gospel-minded and gospel-centered. As he goes on in verse number 3 and says, I entreat thee also, that word, I entreat, he says, I encourage you to deal with this. True yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also and with other fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. You know, as you read the, the, the writings of Paul and you begin to understand what he is saying, it's very interesting. It's almost convicting because Paul cannot get the gospel off of his mind in anything that he says. I mean, read verse number three for just a moment. He says these words at the very end. He says, help those women which labored me in the gospel. We clement also and with other my yoke fellows. And notice again, a gospel-centered statement right here, whose names are in the book of life. He just can't shake it. He can't get away from it. He's trying, he's trying to, to keep a, a thought coming in. He's trying to deal with the situation, but he cannot get past the gospel. Why? Because the gospel changes all things. It always has and it always will. You see, every single one of us that's sitting here this, this morning, our lives are not the same, not because of a church you went to. It's not because of a, uh, a youth conference you went to. It's not because of a specific meeting that you sat in. It's not because of a, a, a specific person or anything like that. We understand the Lord uses those things. Your life is not the same if you were saved here this morning because of the gospel. It's, that's just the way it is. That's where it is. That's how it is. And Paul understood this in his own life. And so he had a motivation towards these people and for these people and what God had done and what God could do. But he had an affection towards these people and then number three, we see his warning. Notice in verse number one, he says, he says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I love these words that are found at the very end of verse number one when he says, so stand fast in the Lord. That statement, stand fast, speaks of standing firm. 
It speaks of preserving, if you would. It speaks of persistence, if you would. To summarize, it just means keep on standing. Paul was dealing with this, and he was very simply helping the people to understand, don't stop. Don't quit. I remember there was a time, I believe it was my junior or senior year in college, and I, it was miserable. But I'm able to go back in that, that time in my life and remember the principles that were being instilled in me concerning this mentality of not stopping. I remember there was a, a time when we would get up in the morning real early. It was preseason before basketball, and the assistant coach or the coach's son, who was an assistant coach, was a trainer at the time, and we would get up really early before the sun was up and before anyone was out. And he would make us go into the volleyball pit and do drills in the sand and really working on the strength of our, our bodies and all that. And then we would go and we would get underneath this pavilion. At the time, if you've been there, the pavilion is now concrete. And uh, at the time, whenever we were doing all this, it wasn't. It was just little chips, wood chips and dusty. And I remember it was an entire, the entire length of it, probably close to, oh, I don't know. It's longer than the gym that we have down there from length to length. And what we would have to do is we'd have to link up with somebody, and the way it would be done is, Jonathan, come here. Jonathan just got saved, and he's a willing vessel to be used as an illustration. Go ahead and get in a push-up position for me for just a moment. Yeah, you're going to love this. Um, which one of those three boys in the front row you like the most? Pick one of them. Connor. I'm sorry, Jacob. I'm sorry, Jared. Come here, Connor. You chose weight? Oh, it doesn't matter. Weight doesn't matter. Go ahead and turn the other way for me. Yeah, this way. This way. Get in that position. Pick up those back legs for me if you would. I remember this is what we had to do. Go one hand here, one hand here, and then do a push-up. One, down. And we had to, now you don't have to, I'm not going to be that, I'm not going to be a jerk. You can go ahead and stand up. I'm not going to be that guy. We had to go all the way down, all the way back. It was miserable. Hated it. And I remember we'd be all the way down and going down, you know, and you couldn't just rush it. Your coach was, would not let you just go, go, go. Now, that's what we like to do in the Christian life, don't we? We like to rush God. Lord, I, look, this, this trial, this, this, this trying time, it, it, I'm ready to be done with this. He says, no, stand fast in the Lord. Hold, hold, hold tight for just a moment. And I remember we, we'd be trying to go, and I'd be trying to get the push-ups, and if the form was not good, he'd say, no, back up, do it again. Now, I remember that was a trying time during that as far as the physical ability because your body would get weary, You'd get worn out. All of a sudden, we'd go all the way down, and coach would be saying, keep going. You can do this. Keep going. Now, we would do the drill, and we would go all the way down. Some would take a little bit longer, but you would get the drill done. At the end of all of it, you'd get back, and there would be a sense of satisfaction. How did I do that? How did I pushed. So stand fast in the Lord. You see, Connor, whoever was holding the legs, was always the encourager in the back. When he wanted to quit, Connor would say, no, 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 you got it. Keep going. No, I can't go. Yeah, you can. I got your legs. You just keep going. He'd go a little further. Connor, I can't. No, yeah, you can. You can keep going. Go. So stand fast in the Lord. And he'd continue to go, and he'd continue to go, and he'd continue to go. And all of a sudden, you look back, and you'd go all the way down, and you'd come all the way back. 
You two can be seated for just a moment. In chapter number one, or chapter number four, verse number three, he says these words, and I treat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. That statement, labored with me in the gospel. Can I share with you, there were some moments in Paul's journey where he probably said, wow, this is a trial. I'm being ridiculed. I'm thrown in prison on this one. Beaten, left for dead, this one. Shipwrecked. Man, Lord, what are you doing? So stand fast in the Lord. So stand fast in the Lord. He says these words, so stand fast in the Lord. And one of the key things that we have to understand is not only is he saying stand fast, that word stand fast speaks of persevering, if you would. If you go to Ephesians chapter number 6, he begins to deal with Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10 through 13, standing fast against Satan because Satan is always attacking. If you were to walk out the doors of the church this morning, you say, all right, I've got it all figured out. Satan says, watch this. Mm-hmm. As you go and you walk through Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, he begins to deal with standing fast in service, being unmovable, standing fast. In 1 Peter chapter number 4, the Word of God deals with standing fast in suffering. All of the major areas of our lives. Standing fast against Satan because he's always there. Standing fast against service because it's hard sometimes. Standing fast in the midst of suffering because you just want to quit. And Paul says right here, So stand fast, but notice these words. Not only is he dealing with standing fast, but he finds great confidence in these words in the Lord. Jonathan, don't stand fast in Connor. Hey, mom, don't uh, mom, uh, don't don't trust yourself for your children to stand fast in you. Daddy, take care of your family and love your family, but don't don't make your children think that you've got it all figured out and that they need to place their confidence in daddy because daddy will let them down. No, he says, stand fast in the Lord. Notice the difference that Paul has made in these people's lives. I mean, Paul has poured into these people. Paul has given his life to these people. He nowhere says, stand fast in me. Have I not? No, 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 no. He says, stand fast in the Lord. You see, this morning you might be here and you're saying, okay, pastor, what are you saying? Because I, I just don't think you understand. I don't think you understand. I'm trying to stand fast. I'm trying to, to, to do the work of the Lord. I'm trying to be in one accord. I'm trying to do all of these things. You say, but this is my life right here. And you're, you're trying to live and you're trying to go about your days. You're trying to do all of these many things. And you're, you're saying, my life is like one giant puzzle. My life is just like this right here. And I know what it's supposed to look like, but it doesn't look like this. And It's a struggle, and it's a battle, and I'm losing this, I'm losing that, and I'm just going, and my life just looks like this right here. You know one of the great joys about our Word? That we get to hold every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, every single Monday through Sunday, whatever the case might be. Is that this book right here, your life might look like this sometimes. You say, oh, it's just in disarray. I can't even begin to know where to put the pieces and pick up all the pieces. This has all the answers. Paul says, hey, just stand fast in the Lord. Hey, not only do you begin to realize that Paul says stand fast in the Lord, but as you go and you look at this puzzle right here, this is how pretty it's supposed to look. And when we try to do things our own way and when we try to go about life our own way and we, we don't want a desire to be of one mind and have the mind of Christ, this is what it looks like. But I asked the, the, the young adults this morning concerning this. I said, when you begin to go about life and you begin to put things back in place, 
One of the answers was given, and it was the exact answer that I was looking for. You pick it up piece by piece, decision by decision, moment by moment. Lord, I yield this to you. Lord, I yield this to you. Lord, I yield this to you. And all of a sudden, as you get further and further into the journey, Paul, who was one who understood what it meant to experience joy and have great joy in the ministry and have great joy in life, he said, it's not about all the circumstances. I found it in Jesus. Can I encourage you this morning? Let's be of one mind and one accord, and let's lift the Lord up and make sure that he's given.